Hello, coders. Welcome to episode 180 of the How to Code Well podcast. My name is Peter Fisher, and today we're going to be talking about how to write code that doesn't rely on third-party tools. Before we talk about that, though, let's talk about a particular new tool that has come out, and this is from Versal. This is the Turbo Pack. It is the successor to Webpack, and they claim that it's going to be at least 10 times faster than I can't pronounce it, Svetl, Svetl, I can never pronounce that, and 700 times faster than Webpack. That is astonishing. I'll quote here, TurboPack only bundles the minimum assets required in development, so startup time is extremely fast. On an application with 3,000 modules, yeah, that's astonishing. Anyway, 3,000 modules, TurboPack takes... 1.8 seconds to boot up while Vittle takes 11.4 seconds. So this is boot up time. And also another quote here is, since we're not offering a one-to-one API compatibility, this is talking about the plugins of Webpack. Most Webpack plugins won't work out of the box with TurboPack to begin with. However, they are looking to um, improve that. So I've got links in the show notes below. This is from turbo.build and versil.com forward slash blog forward slash turbo pack. So this is a new tool that will succeed in their opinion over Webpack. Whether it does or not, I don't know. And um, Webpack for me personally, is something that's relatively new, I suppose. I've only started being use- using it in the last, I don't know, three years. For me, that's relatively new. For the web development industry, that's actually quite old. <laughs> but you must remember that I work mostly in legacy code land. So I work with code that's already been in existence for a very long time. And I'm usually employed to upgrade and improve upon that code base. So I am already working or starting to work on things that are very, very old and I'm bringing them out out into the the new world. It's just by the time we get to that point, there's been so many new worlds that have happened um, that I probably won't be using TurboPack and I'll probably be using a successor to that whenever that comes out. I do question this because I haven't actually found personally that Webpack is slow. I I think Webpack works quite fine as it is. I do agree that they have some really good APIs for Webpack and it's a bit sad to see that straight away there isn't much one-to-one compatibility with those APIs. But I guess this is the first release and hopefully releases after this will will improve that compatibility. But it does beg the question as to, should you care about this? You know, are you building a new, a brand new spanking project? Should you care about TurboPack? And should you be looking to replace your current, your whatever you're currently doing on your legacy program uh, application with TurboPack? If you're looking to have a new way of create or, or bundling your, um, assets and building your application should you be looking at TurboPack instead of things like Webpack and so forth. I mean, the other the other month I was working on stuff that dealt with Bower, so <laughs> and Grunt and 
jQuery and all that other old stuff, right? It's still out there. There's a lot of it. So in my personal opinion, I will not be worrying about Turbo Pack straight away. Not right now. Not not right away because nobody that I work with require the speed of Turbo Pack. And they are already dealing with other issues that need to be addressed by other tools. So the speed isn't really something that it, that is a, a massive concern of mine right now. And because, as I mentioned, I don't work on the bleeding edge of the industry, that's, it's not really a consideration. And when I look at all of these new things, it's almost like I have to throw a dart at a moving dartboard and just just wait until that hits the dartboard and find out where it's which uh, number it's landed on and that's the uh, that's the version that I'm working with or that's the tool that I'm working with it's a moving target all of these new javascript and and frameworky type improvements that are happening i'm not saying that they shouldn't happen they definitely should but from someone who just deals with legacy code uh, most of the time, it's it's a bit of a challenge because you see all of these things improve and you don't really know how fast you need to keep up. Because, like I said, in, in given two years time, three years time, this will be old <laughs> and there'll be something else down the line. So I don't think that I need to worry about this. I don't think that a lot of people have to worry about this unless they're working on the bleeding edge, unless they need speed over convenience when it comes to building their uh, front-end applications. Because obviously here, they're, they're really leaning on the, the fact that it's really fast. And it's really fast because they use uh, Rust. And the links in the show notes will go into far more detail than I will even attempt to do in this podcast on how that works and how they they deal with really clever caching. They've got some really good diagrams and a good explanation as to how things are so quick with Turbo Pack. I haven't actually used it at all. And again, I'm, I'll, I'll repeat, I probably won't for a number of years. I, I very much doubt I will, but it's very interesting. And it's something that as a developer, one has to keep an eye on what's happening in the horizon line because that's the legacy code that I'll be dealing with in you know in a number of years time. So yes, I won't be worrying about this straight away, but it's an interesting one. But it does pose a question, and that is how do we write code that will eventually become quote unquote legacy code, brownfield code that needs to be maintained and needs to be improved and needs to be uh, patched and fixed whilst keeping with the latest trends. It's very tricky. It's a tricky line to, to, to walk because if you if you go down, especially with the Turbo Pack and the Web Pack and, and the Grunts and the Bowers and the jQueries and the, the Next.js's and the Reacts, you're essentially planting your flag down and saying, this is the this is the tribe, that, the JavaScript tribe that I'm now belonging to, and I'm going to be sticking around in there, and my code is so invested in that ecosystem 
because it is an ecosystem essentially and it's very difficult to move from one ecosystem to another ecosystem because they're so all-encompassing and and they're so brilliant at what they do so when something succeeds the thing that you're currently building your code within it's very tricky it's very tricky to move that out it, that is a whole migration piece which takes an awful lot of time especially once you're out of development and you're in production because you're dealing with basically a moving target a moving application which is your own application so how do you go about writing code that doesn't rely on other tools and i'm not going to pick on turbo pack i think this is a fantastic way forward i i certainly don't want to sound like i'm i'm poking at it at all i think this is fantastic and i and i want to just say that i look forward to using these tools however i think it's important as a developer that to try and build code that is less dependent on these tools going forward because the less dependencies you have the easier it is for you to keep following core standards rather than framework guidelines and we'll talk about that more in, in, a, in a second and it's easier for you to bring other developers on board because they will have the general notion of the programming language rather than the framework specific expertise that perhaps you're looking for and if it's in a legacy code base then you'll be looking at a specific version of that and trying to narrow down in the employment pool someone who is uh, an expert on that framework using that version it can be a little bit tricky so by broadening out your tech stack to or not broadening out to stepping back on the tech stack and saying well hang on a minute why don't we just use javascript or php or if we were talking about the php stuff why don't we try and follow it, uh, the psr standards more than perhaps the standards laid out by the certain frameworks that supersede their their opinions upon these standards the, the psr standards so i use the word opinion there frameworks do become opinionated they do have their own standards of course they do this is not anything that is wrong with how frameworks are built this is just their ecosystem and there is an argument to say that if you're using those frameworks then yes you need to follow those standards if you are completely in bed with that framework if you're completely all in then yes because the argument there is that when you employ people that have experience and expertise in that framework then they'll be able to read the code easier because they are more used to those standards and the way the framework works right rather than you trying to do something slightly different there's also an argument to say that instead of using fully fledged full fat frameworks use more micro frameworks smaller component components of frameworks symphony is really good for this and actually symphony recommends doing this so instead of using their old symphony symphony stuff you are actually looking at the components that make up symphony and you're picking and choosing those components going forward another thing is to not rely too much on the syntactic sugar that certain frameworks sprinkle over the 
existing PHP functions, right? Or the existing interfaces of certain classes. Yes, it might make the, the code easier to read if you are a Laravel developer rather than a Symfony developer. And yes, it might make your code look even nicer or just quicker to write, but it's going to be difficult, more difficult to maintain going forward, right? Because if you decide actually Laravel isn't the way to go and we need to go in a different direction, still on the PHP space, but in a completely different sort of framework direction, or just want to use a whole different PHP tool for that particular thing. You have to unpick all the sprinkles of that sugar of that Laravel function or method or component and work out what it's actually doing under the hood. And usually what happens under the hood is just PHP, raw PHP. Uh, I'll give you a, an example because I, I kind of went on a little bit of a tangent there. I'll give you an example. So the other day I was working on the code quiz stuff the other evening and I was trying to work. I've got this on the on the GitHub. I'll put a link in the show notes below on this particular issue. I'm trying to work out at the minute the best way to store the code quizzes as markdown files and then have a means of 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 parsing the markdown files and then saving those markdown files to a database. Okay, so that's the, that's the challenge. So you've got markdown files, you've got a database, and you've got to try and parse the markdown file. Scrap, I can't say the word. Take the relevant information data out of the markdown files and then put those into the different fields within the database table, essentially. The challenge is that, yes, I'm dealing with Symfony. And so I was like, okay, let's just use the Symfony Finder stuff to find the directories and find the files, loop over those. Oh, yes, now I can use the Symfony CSS selector component to then use all sorts of interesting tricks around XPath and manipulating the the nodes of the HTML document. And then I can pull out the relevant stuff using all of their fancy sort of trickery. And it was working really, really well until I got to a particular bug. And um, I totally forget what the bug was, but I read a Stack Overflow post on how to fix it. And they weren't using Symfony, they were using just raw PHP. And it turns out that actually under the hood, it's not much code. <laughs> So instead of using the Symfony Finder and the CSS selector stuff, I'm now just using DOM document and I'm just using a normal PHP file uh, ch checking routine in, uh, in PHP world. So I'm not doing any fancy stuff with Symfony. I I'm not relying on the Symfony components. I'm just doing whatever PHP needs to do in order to find those particular directories, find those files for the markdown, and then use the DOM document extension. I managed to not only reduce the amount of code, but I was able to make it more testable as well because I didn't have to mock various things that Symfony were, was putting in. So yeah, it, it, it turned out far easier. And I know that going forward, that's going to be easier to maintain as well because it is just Symfony. It's just, it's just PHP code. It's just PHP code.
So there we go. That's one string that I've cut from the framework. So yes, I'm a Symfony developer. I love Symfony, but I, 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 I guess my loyalties to that particular framework aren't set in stone. And I don't think your loyalties to your JavaScript framework or your PHP framework or your Python framework should be set in stone either. So I believe that one needs to care more about the conventions written out by the programming language itself and the perhaps the decisions made by, in the, in the case of PHP, the fig team, right? The decisions around PSR, the interfaces care, care more about those rather than the opinions and the guides of the frameworks, because which one will last longer? <laughs> which one will last longer? <clears throat> so try and move away from opinionated code and also try and code like you don't actually have access to third party tools either. So try and try and forget that these things are available and just see, just try it, create yourself a proof of concept and see if you can actually solve this problem without relying on someone else's extension or, or um, extension is not the right word, but plugin or node module or whatever. Also, it's worth noting that the framework you use today and especially the version of that framework you use today will not be around all the time. And going back to Symfony, I, I, I know I'm relying on hitting on Symfony a lot, but with Symfony, we've had Symfony 1, we've had Symfony 2, we've had Symfony 3, and, you know, on and on and on. On each massive iteration, there has been huge amounts of change in terms of the folder structure, the, con the configuration, the way that they integrate all sorts of stuff with their... Uh, the guard system that they have now, it's very, very different to how it used to be, right? And so if you're if you're looking at using a framework now as a quick win, as a quick fix, that's fine if you care about rapid application development, sure. But what about maintainability going forward? That needs to also be a massive concern as well because upgrading an application that is in the wild that's being used in production from one massive version to another massive version of even the same framework takes an incredible amount of time. Time equals money equals resource, right? Or resource equals money. So you have to take that as a big consideration. It's not a problem that you should just only worry about when it happens. Also check the knowledge of the team that you've got, right? Because And remember that the, the knowledge of the team that you you currently have will not be the same knowledge base going forward, right? So you want to make sure that you have a baseline of knowledge. And usually that baseline of knowledge is the programming language. So usually when I get a contract and when that contract is dealing with a framework that is perhaps slightly outside of my wheelhouse, so maybe I'm, I'm playing with a framework or even a version of a framework that is very, very old, and I I haven't used that in a long time. The one thing I'll come back to the recruiter when they're talking about the role is that, hey, it's PHP, right? And I know PHP. I've been doing PHP for XYZ. I call myself a PHP developer over a Symfony developer for, that, for this very reason. This is my baseline knowledge. And 
you get people who go, no, that's that's the wrong thing to do because you need to niche down and get your expertise. You know, you're a Laravel developer, you're a Symfony developer. I will never go in, I will never put my flag into any of those camps and say, this is where I belong. Because you can't for sure say that that framework is still going to be there. And also for certifications as well. This is why I would prefer to do a PHP certification rather than a Symfony certification. Why? Because it's PHP. That is my baseline knowledge. Yes, I appreciate there might be people out there thinking, well, if you did a Symfony certification, you probably get uh, paid far more with specific Symfony roles. Yes, that is true. That is true. However, by not niching down and broadening out to say the programming language, I'm now opening myself up to all sorts of different opportunities that I wouldn't get if I didn't focus on a single framework. So be careful, be careful when you decide which framework you want to land on, because that probably won't be the framework or at least the version of that framework that you're going to stay on. (laughs) So be very, very careful. Right. I know today it's been short, but I I need to shoot off. Thank you ever so much for listening and watching. If you've got any thoughts on this, if you've got any opinions, if you've got any, if you've got any tips on how you manage this and write code that doesn't rely on other tools, then do let me know. Check out the howtocodewell.fm forward slash contact page. You can uh, send me a message there. Thank you ever so much. Happy coding, everybody. And I'll see you again next week. Cheers. Bye bye.